Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. We're going to start this week with a question from uh, one of our lovely listeners. Hector Ramos has been in touch. He says, give me your top five leagues from around the world in order. He did say top 15 actually, but we've not got all day, so we'll just do five. <laughs> so who wants to go first? That's an easy one. Premier League first, Spain, Italy, Germany, France. The A League started today. Yeah, it did. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, that. I'm not including it. <laughs> Andre, are you going to stand for the Portuguese league? I, I will. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's it's um, Spain, Italy, Premier League, uh, Portuguese league, and Bundesliga. Premier League third. That's interesting. Yeah. Oh, fair do, enough. Do any of you think MLS could could at some point in the near future like creep it's, in there? Like or? top is that five. A real league, actually. It's Apparently, gonna be a long yeah. time, isn't it? You no, know, top five, I wouldn't say so, but uh, it would probably I'd probably fit in on my top ten. MLS. Yeah. It just needs to get away from being that league where people just go as a bit of a retirement home, doesn't it? Really. Yeah. I'm sure David Beckham will convince a couple of players to <laughs> join him in yeah. Miami. Maybe you can actually get some decent defenders so they know how to defend <laughs> in America, because that's certainly uh, they they don't the biggest know problem. What it? Yeah. Well, my top five is Premier League, Championship, League One, League Two, and I don't know the Gibraltar Premier League or something. <laughs> I thought we were bringing some conference <laughs> championship. Interesting. <laughs> Champions League is the best league in the world, really. <laughs> Championship, should I say? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, well, we'll come back. Marcelo Bielsa as a manager there. So well, that's how bad can it be? Yeah. We'll come only back to, only uh, one league in the world has Hansa Rostock, and we've not mentioned it. Yet. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Toby. All right. What are they? Third league? German third, third league? Yeah. Um, truly terrible football. But it's quite exciting because it's very close together, um, and because it's so rubbish, actually, it's good again. Um, quite fun to watch. Everything can happen. So. Lads, if you're bored this weekend, give it a go. Yeah. I don't think I will be, but I'm not that bored anyway. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we'll come back to Gibraltar and all that jazz a little bit later on. Uh, in the meantime, welcome to the One Football Podcast. I'm Dan Burke. Joining me today is Lewis Ambrose. Hello. Andre Gonsalves. Hi. And Toby Herman. Good morning. Disappointingly, we didn't get too many emails from listeners this week. Um, we'd really, really like you to keep sending them in to us. So if you want to do that, the email to do so is podcast at onefootball.com. And if we don't read your question out this week, don't worry, we will get to it at a later date. Uh, we're going to start today's show with the greatest league of them all, the UEFA Nations League. Where better to start, Lewis, but England's sensational 3-2 win over Spain in Seville on Monday. Uh, my first question is, was Eric Dyer's tackle on Sergio Ramos the highlight of the naughty so far for you? No, I think it's, <laughs> it's been a little bit overblown. Oh, it was it? good though, wasn't it? Sergio Ramos puts in a tackle like that every weekend. True. People in England want to kill him. <laughs> but how happy did Raheem Sterling's goal I or goals make you? Extremely happy, especially especially for Raheem Sterling because the stick that he's had over the past few years mm. is just absurd. Uh, he's blamed for pretty much everything that goes wrong, not just in English football but in England in general. It feels like he's not allowed to buy expensive things he's not allowed to buy cheap things Raheem Sterling <laughs> yeah. he gets judged no matter what there's he does there's no Brexit deal because of Raheem Sterling yeah Raheem Sterling <laughs> is holding up Brexit um, it's, it's honestly appalling the way he's been treated by the media in England so was it three years without an international goal to mm. get that monkey off his back and get two goals against Spain in, in a big match or against big, a big opponent anyway in a big win for England that's really really important and I think England 
if England are going to be successful in the next few years, they're going to need Raheem Sterling playing like he does for Manchester City. Yeah. For the same reasons uh, Lewis just mentioned, I actually had feelings for that goal and I couldn't care less about the England <laughs> national team or the Nations League. But yeah, obviously, I think he, he deserved that goal. And it was a cracking goal as well. I mean, the, the way he just smashed it in, it's just yeah. not like... Um, He's just. I, I think that says a lot that <coughs> that it made you feel something for him that he'd scored. A, yeah, the way he's been treated, you just really desperately want him to do well. You feel yourself when he goes for on goal for England. Happened during the World Cup as well, like against Sweden when England were already a couple of goals up, and mm. Sterling would get the ball, and you really wanted something to happen so yeah. people would stop criticising him all the time. One of the papers, I think, I want to say the Telegraph. Did you see their report of? The game. No. They sort of criticised Sterling's performance in the warm up. He had a couple of shots in the warm up that went high and wide and stuff like so. He had a couple in the game that were in the net. Like, Who watches the warm up? Oh, exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Apparently it was a telegraph journalist. <laughs> Gary, Gary Lineker never used to shoot in the warm up because he f- thought if he scored, he was like wasting his goals. Oh, really? He wanted yeah. to save them for the match. <laughs> I'm not sure that's how it works, no. but he did all right. <laughs> Uh, someone else who came in for a bit of criticism was Marcus Rashford um, he missed a few chances in the draw with Croatia but he was pretty good against Spain I thought do you think, where do you think he's at in terms of his development is he on track or is he kind of falling behind what people expected of him when he first burst onto the yeah, scene it's hard to say isn't it like when a player I think Rashford was 18 when he first started playing for Man United and no one had ever heard of him before and then obviously people get lofty expectations very very quickly we're still not really sure what Marcus Rashford is. Is he a striker? Is he sort of an attacking, a goal-scoring winger? Um, I think that's probably what needs to be figured out first. And if you look at how often he's playing for Man United, this season he's only started, I think, twice in the Premier League. But for his age, the amount of minutes he gets on the pitch, the amount of goals he scores or just the assists he provides, how the team looks when he plays. And it's the same for England as mm. well. Things look like they're going to happen when Rashford's involved. It's not every teenager that bursts onto the scene can be Kylian Mbappe and I think that's the yardstick we try and measure them by instead of just watching a 20 year old and seeing if he does develop over time or not It has a lot to, to do with the expectations that the English media created when Rashford uh, first appeared because I think he's doing is do, the development he's having is normal pretty it's, much what you would expect yeah what we would expect from, from, from him after the Uh, two years playing at the top level uh, but again uh, the expectations were crazy high when when he started any criticism of him at the moment this he's playing for a Man United team that isn't really getting much out of Alexis Sanchez and Juan Mata and Anthony Martial and eventually you have to say it's something to do with the team mm. and not oh Rashford hasn't developed if Alexis and Martial and Lukaku at the moment aren't looking too sharp then what hope has a 20 year old got yeah Very true, very true. Getting back to England, how much do you think they should sort of read into that result against Spain? Is it a, a new dawn for England or, or is it a, did they just beat a pretty poor Spain team on the night? <laughs> Can it be both? <laughs> Possibly, yeah. <laughs> But do you think England are finally, are finally ready to mix it with the big boys now, is it? I don't think the gap is as big as it's been for a long time. I think the last two, three, four, five, ten years ago, the gap between England and Spain and England and France and Germany, whoever was the top team over that period of time, was always pretty big um, 
And I think it's smaller. I don't think England are necessarily on the same level, but I think the gap is a lot smaller. I think Gareth Southgate's got quite a lot to do with that. And I just think this generation of England players is really, really impressive. Not like, you know, not as hyped probably as the Gerard Lampard, Beckham generation, mm. but I would say every bit as talented, or they could be every bit as talented as those guys you've talked about, uh, Rashford and Sterling already. John Stones at the back is already playing every single week for the Premier League champions, and he's what, 24 now? I, I think, think so, yeah, yeah. Luke Shaw's just signed a massive new deal at Man United. Ben Chilwell and James Madison are playing every week for Leicester. Jaden Sancho got his England mm. debut last week. Why can't those players go on and become guys that each play 80, 90, 100 times for England? Yeah, I can see a lot of similarities to what was happening like in, in Germany around 2006. Um, bring in a manager like who's afraid of you know turning over every rock. Like bring in young and experienced players. Um, yeah, well we all know where that led to We've for the Germans well. and where it's now. Um, but yeah, it's quite <laughs> exciting to watch England now these days, isn't it? And I've, I've like, probably haven't been saying that for like ten years or so. Um, yeah, I think the other really big difference is the Premier League. Tottenham, Liverpool, Man City are all playing with young English players and they're all playing what you'd call sort of a modern brand of football Mm -hmm. it's really intense they have a lot of focus on keeping the ball and how you play with the ball how you press and that kind of thing and I think that really shows in the national team so almost when a national team manager can't work with the players very often then they've got to already have some sort of understanding of how they want to work together and it feels like England are already going away on international duty at the moment and the players kind of seamlessly fit together but this game against Spain showed uh, uh, another great thing about Southgate. He clearly knows the limitations of the of the team and the players he has. And when he needed to sit back and wait, he, he did it without any concerns. And um, it was quite cynical because with three shots on target, it was three goals. Can you get better than that? I don't think so. <laughs> and against, Statistically? Not. Yeah, and against, against uh, Spain, that's that's remarkable, and we were talking and joking around um, about the um, the statistic with the David de Gea. Yeah, it's something like David de Gea hasn't saved a shot in six of his last seven games for Spain. Something it's, ridiculous. Like it's that. unbelievable. It's like you don't need a keeper. It's like don't bring a keeper. <laughs> you don't need it. Um, but uh, yeah, we talked about how Southgate is very intelligent when it comes to uh, to these kind of games and. Um, uh, like like Toby said, we can see some similarities between uh, Germany ten years ago and uh, and this this new England. I thought the most encouraging thing was just that they played a four three three. They did mm. it against Croatia as well, and it didn't really work. It just looked completely stifled. But they played a four three three. They played with three forwards essentially, with Sterling, Rashford, and Kane. And I don't think that was something England didn't have during the World Cup. It, mm. They'd sort of they'd focused on training in this back five, and they didn't have the time to work on anything else. And the back five was working, but then against Croatia in the in the semi final, they sort of got outnumbered on the wings and mm. didn't have any response. It was, all of the changes were like for like, and this time now we're seeing Southgate. It's obviously taken a little bit more time and now England can play in at least two different ways, which is going to be really, really important. And he changed to the back five against Spain when England was struggling in the second half. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. 
Dre, do you think it's fair to say that Spain are, are going for a bit of a sort of lean period in terms of talent? Is this current crop of Spanish players a little bit underwhelming compared to what we've become used to over the past few years? Um, well, if you compare this generation to the previous one, of course, it's really hard to keep yeah. that, that that quality. But um, I, I don't feel like this Spanish team uh, lacks of quality, to be honest. They have a lot of options. I feel like in this... For this um, games in particular, I I've, I felt like uh, Luis Enrique was a bit. He made out some some decisions that I just quite don't understand. But he's again, it's the Nations League. He's trying some new players, trying something new, and if you want to screw up in style, maybe the Nations League is the place to. <laughs> um, but uh, they have the talent, uh, and they surely going to be. Uh, and top of Europe for, for years and years to come because uh, they have a lot of the generation that won the, uh, the 121s mm. four years ago three years ago they're now 24 25 and and they're pretty good and, and they're playing for top teams in, in, in Spain yeah is everyone happy with Enrique so far or, or anyone having sort of second thoughts about uh, to be fair I didn't think like that improved much from the World Cup it's still the this, this great Spanish way of playing football like a lot of passing yeah but now but they're not going to change that is, yeah, there, is there a DNA that's I, not going to change that? Yeah, if it's not more successful, I mean, like, what good what does it? It's, it's, was it, didn't somebody once say if you don't need a plan, plan B is to just be better at plan A? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's Spain is, yeah, they're not going to change, they just have to get better at what they're doing again. Well, it's funny actually because I, I remember when, um, Enrique, well, he didn't take over from Guardiola straight away, did he? But no. I think PK yeah. further down the line compared the two, and he said, "Oh, we have a plan B with Enrique." Yeah, and Guardiola. he said that oh, with yeah. Enrique, our football is way more vertical, and uh, uh-huh. we changed the way we play, and blah blah blah. But the fact that that was that was happening uh, with that Barcelona in particular, because they have a front of three that that was absolutely incredible. Mm-hmm. It was just get the ball to them as yes, quickly as they, you can exactly that was the plan <laughs> they, they can figure it out we don't need a lot of passive uh, moments in the midfield because we have those three up front so just find a way of, of making it happen um, uh, with this Spanish team we don't have uh, those three up front so they need to try something different and, and Spain is now struggling a little bit with the number nine they don't have a super striker and that's a problem against teams like England in particular that's a big big problem yeah, Diego Costa is he not the man anymore? Oh, Paco Alcácer scores every seven yeah, minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's happening now. So, yeah, so it's going to be fun to, to come back. Uh, never, never let him play from the beginning. Just no, never, never let him play. Second half. Surely he's, he's due a period where he like doesn't score for a month at least. Or something, <laughs> isn't he? Everyone's going to go mad. <laughs> Toby, uh, things yeah. are going from bad to worse for Germany, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, Three 0 defeat to Holland, and then two one to France on Tuesday. Is it Yogi Love out time yet? Um, well, I thought it was his time to go after the World Cup, um, but yeah, obviously he stayed on. To be fair, there was a bit of improvement from the um, game against the Netherlands to the game in France, mm. uh, but still, he's got to do more, and um, him, he he definitely has got like the, the the crop of young players that he just seems to be like he keeps ignoring them, and I don't understand why. I don't understand why Mats Hummels and Jerome Boateng are still the first choice centre-backs like I mean they're still good enough to be in the squad but are they good enough to actually play from the beginning and like keep in mind that in 
two years time or um, six years time when we've got more tournaments coming up they'll be just too old there, there won't be any use for us mm. so why not um, get the young players on the pitch now especially for the Nations League where like seemingly no one cares about so why should we care if we lose with a young squad hey, I care about it <laughs> sorry then <laughs> only Dan cares about it just for the record uh, so yeah like um, I don't quite understand why he's not doing that um For now, I think nothing left for us but um, trusting him. Uh, I hope he's gonna, gonna get around it and, and give the young players a chance. Well, former France international Christophe Dugary really stuck the boot in after the France game. He said they simply lack quality. I'm thinking of Thomas Muller, Mats Hummels and Jerome Boateng, which is what you just said then, basically. These players have an enormous media power that allows them to still be regular starters for Bayern and the German national team, even though they no, no longer have the necessary level for it. How can Thomas Muller still be part of the German national team today? The boy has not been good for four or five years, not to say he's been miserable. Has Thomas Muller like, slept with his wife or something? I don't know what his beef is. Obviously, he hasn't watched a Bundesliga game in the past five no. years or a Bayern game at all. Um, keep in mind that guy, um, Dugary, like obviously he was um, part of the World Cup winning squad for, uh, squad for France in 1998. Mm. He, he's a centre forward in his entire career. He's got one World Cup goal against South Africa. Um, Criticising three guys who won the World Cup, two, one of them actually scored, was it 13 World Cup goals so far? Something like that. 12 yeah. maybe. It's probably a bit harsh um, to say that they have no quality whatsoever. But what I just said, maybe it's time for Louis to give other players a, a chance. Um, I think it's ridiculous that if you would leave players like Boateng, Hummels, um, Müller, even Kroos, who's like, you know, become a bit into the center of the criticism, uh, to leave them out of the squad, um, they're still good enough to be part of uh, the squad. And uh, if not for the pitch, at least there is um, young, talented players who can learn a lot from them. So it'd be foolish uh, to leave him at home, but definitely give him a break. And um, Do you think that uh, bringing uh, Thomas Müller and Ulmus to the team and not playing them would be bad for the environment of the, of the locker room? Um, it can be. Depends how professional they are about Exactly, it. yeah. Well, Matt Summers um, has been dropped a few times for Bayern this season, hasn't he? He has, with, yeah. Reacted yeah. quite negatively been, to uh, him. There's um, very weird rotation when it comes mm. to centre-backs in, uh, in, in Bayern this season. Let's keep in mind these are professional athletes and what they want to do is they want to play and they want to perform and um, I don't think any footballer in this world like maybe a professional or an amateur is happy being on the bench let's face it like you want to play um, but I think if they're professionals um, just as Lewis said they should be okay with it and then they should actually take that opportunity to sort of grow as well and maybe like you know start help the manager to develop young talent uh, young, younger players so um, yeah that's what I would think um, I don't I, I can't see like Hummels Müller and Boateng being um, to pick out these three guys to, to be the guys who would um, publicly criticize the manager to an extent where they um, uh, it wouldn't be an option anymore to get them in the squad the one I can't understand is Julian Brandt who like changed the game in all three World Cup games coming off the bench for, uh, for Germany sorry uh, was probably the only German player who came out of the World Cup with a better reputation than he went there with yeah. and now he's still sitting on the bench during these Nation Leagues it's not uh, only Julian Brandt, I mean Leroy Sané obviously is a good example like uh, against well France goal. he played um, he played quite well even though like you know you missed a couple of chances but he had an immediate impact on the game um, there is this argument going on about our left back Jonas Hector like for the past few international games he's been fairly poor 
Um, we've got this guy in Augsburg, um, Philip Max is his name. Was it 12 um, assists last season in the Bundesliga? I think it was 14 at the end, <laughs> but yeah, something like that. And um, everyone thought, oh, he's going to be a one-hit wonder, but now the new season kicked off and like he's just keep doing, it keeps doing what he's, he's done last season. And I don't understand why he's not calling him. Yeah. Um, at least there was some change with Tilo Kera playing on the right side. I thought that was a good idea as well. Um, yeah, he just... He just needs to keep doing that like give young players a chance and we've got so many of them and uh, Julian Brandt Leroy Sané Philip Max like um, I see them as the potential future of the German national but team but I, I don't see the problem with the German I, I don't think the problem with the German team is the um, is the, the players or uh, calling up guys they're not performing as they should I think is is a system with uh, with jo- Joachim Löw I think he's exhausted it, it, it's the way Germany plays these days is quite predictable. There's yeah, no exactly. creativity. It's just, it's gone. And if he, if, if Löw wants to keep, um, stay or keep being the manager um, of the national team, like um, he he's, he's got to find a way. He either does that or he's just getting uh, new players in um, so he can give them new input. Because I don't feel like he can, the established players, I don't think there's anything he can teach them or tell them, uh, them anymore. Like it's, it's, It seems like they reach sort of a limit and they can't go beyond that and the only way um, if they want to improve again is just get new players in or get a new manager in but that's not going to happen um, there's a lack of options and also I think um, Yogi um, over the years become quite a bit the stubborn old man and um, his career's been on the down since he scratched his arse and sniffed his fingers at that time, hasn't it, basically? He's never, <laughs> he's never really recovered from that. I think you could chart his decline from that exact moment. Probably might be the reason, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you might disagree with this, Toby, but it's good to see the Dutch back on form, isn't it? <laughs> I yeah, think international well, football kind of needs the Netherlands to be yeah, performing. I don't mind them um, being good again. Lovely people. Um. <laughs> Yeah, um, I really don't care about Dutch and world football. But, um, <laughs> they've got they've got interesting players. Um, so German, <laughs> I know. Um, it's got some interesting players, and I think it's it's good for European football on the um, international level that we've got more than just two or three um, teams that play on a very high level. So it's good to see the English coming back to a certain level, and um, certainly same applies to the Netherlands. Good times are on the way back. They're on the way back for Portugal as well, Dre. They beat Scotland this week, so yeah. what a feather in the cap that is. <laughs> that's, that's the cap, right? You know that you're doing well and you beat Scotland. When's um, the parade? Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah uh, so far uh, Portugal were quite good in, uh, in the Nations League and they're doing... Um, what was more or less expected, mm-hmm. I would say. Um, a group with uh, with Italy and Poland is not an easy group at all. Um, but the the team needed to be revitalized uh, per se. We needed new names, and the the manager uh, was humble enough to bring new kids into the block. And things are working pretty well for us right now. Great, Bernardo Silva is a. Uh Guy's performing quite well for club and country at the moment, isn't he? Uh, is uh, is beautiful to watch uh, what Bernardo has been doing, uh, both in the Premier League and with the national team. And uh, I just, I would just want him. I really wanted to see him assuming this kind of uh, of uh, key moments during the the, the World Cup, because mm. uh, the problem with Portugal in, during the World Cup was the lack of ideas and the fact that we were stuck with a system 
that was again like Germany completely exhausted and we were relying too much in, in one man to decide all games and that's just yeah. a pathetic way of seeing football um, and that's why uh, Portugal was uh, very disappointing during the World Cup uh, now it's funny enough we don't have the man that usually decides the games but the team is actually playing like a team and we can see that some of the um, some of the players that were in the shade uh, for months and months they're they're performing quite well because they're actually quite good and there's a lot of potential so I hope that uh, we can keep doing what we're doing even after Ronaldo um, he's, he's going to come back in the beginning of 2019 so I hope that even with Ronaldo the team can perform as well as they, they are right now mm -hmm. and just a word on Gibraltar we mentioned them a bit earlier they won two games this week this might annoy you though they have, they've got a number 9 and a number 11 in the centre of defence a number seven at left back and number three in midfield. That's not proper football. What's going on there? Oh, it's just to make Who, you. It's that? working because everyone because everyone gets really confused, <laughs> and then they beat Armenian Liechtenstein. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. A couple yeah. of goals for Joseph Cipollina, who plays his club football for the famous Lincoln Red Imps. Um, and this might interest you, Toby. You were saying that nobody cares about the UEFA Nations League earlier. Gibraltar striker Reese Stitch, who plays for Darlington, uh, he said, Unfortunately, this is the mentality of big clubs and big managers, like Klopp's comments that this is a meaningless competition. It's not. Meaningless friendlies is where players are being asked to pull out with injuries. For us, we're part of history, and if you ask 32,000 Gibraltarian people if this competition is meaningless, then you'll get a stern no. It shows we're competing, and that's what it's aimed to do. So is the Nations League growing on us at all? It is, yeah. It just you said it was rubbish before, mate. You um, know. Yeah, but before, you should growing. have heard what he said before that. He thought it was much worse. <laughs> First of all, statistically, I just want to say it for a record, Gibraltar is um, better than Germany in that competition. I think Gibraltar have won more um, games in this month than Germany have won yeah. this year. Something so like, like I said at the beginning of the Nations League as well, I think for the um, smaller nations, it totally makes sense. Um, but obviously you can't have just small nations in there so like it's everybody or nobody I suppose um, yeah it's growing on me but still it's the international break and we have it every month now I think there's going to be another one in November yeah mid-November yeah. and I'm going to be sitting there thinking like oh my god why do I have to watch this um, I think probably watching Gibraltar is more exciting than actually watching Germany yeah, these days because um, these players at least can be asked to put an effort into the game um, whereas I think like for obviously bigger clubs bigger teams it's just and um, bigger players it's just more games on their hands at the end of a year and I think that's probably the reason why the likes of Jürgen Klopp um, are a bit annoyed by this competition do you guys think that like it's so Germany look like they're going to get relegated uh, from their group in the Nations League do you think that might sort of make them take it more seriously next time because they'll sort of not like the idea of being relegated and not belonging to that top group mm. I mean Thomas Müller for sure he said that he, he wasn't he wasn't interested in playing against San Marino so he needs to there's, <laughs> he needs a, few, to there's a few more relegations before they're playing San Marino <laughs> yeah. but. perhaps the Nations League is a bit like you know when you go to prison and well I've never been to prison but this I, know, is I, I don't know and they say uh, you should <laughs> always you know go, go up on the first day and punch out the hardest guy to sort of make your presence known <laughs> so if Germany get relegated it's kind of like the Nations League saying yeah don't mess with us by the way we, we mean business here <laughs> 
Anyway, enough of this international football nonsense because we've got the club the club game coming back this week, thank God. There's a massive game in the Premier League, isn't there, Lewis, as uh, Manchester United travel to face Chelsea on Saturday lunchtime. There's some fresh reports this week that the outcome of this game could cost Jose Mourinho his job. Do you think there's any truth to that? Yeah, if he wins, he'll have to stay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's, that's not nice thought, is it, for United <laughs> fans? Or for Jose Mourinho, because he just doesn't look like he wants to be there anymore. Mm. It's just completely bizarre. Um, I, d- I don't know if he'll be gone this week if he they've got Juventus in midweek in the yeah. Champions League. I think if they were to lose to Chelsea and Juventus and then they've got Everton at Old Trafford the following weekend, if, let's say, for argument's sake, they didn't win any of those three games, then he might be in trouble. Um did they draw with Valencia in the Champions League yeah, so I think was, if it, they yeah. lose to Juventus they're in a little bit of a precarious position there as well mm. they're at home so they've still got to go to Turin they've still got to go away to Valencia I think that's probably a bit more important no, no one's expecting Man United to win the Premier League now they've just got to not get humiliated mm. by Chelsea I think which could happen yeah it's possible isn't it um, Luke Shaw signed a new contract this week Apparently he's going to be on 195 grand a week now. It's a lot of money, that isn't it, for Luke Shaw? I mean, he's pretty good, but he's yeah, I like Luke Shaw. Yeah, I wouldn't pay him that. Is he like 195? 195 grand a week. I mean, Alexis Sanchez on 400 pounds. Yeah, pounds. Yeah. Oh god. Alexis Sanchez on 400 grand a week at United. Do you think yeah, they've kind of pa- like painted them into a corner with that contract in particular that players now will go to them and say well he's earning this much so I want this much I think that's not just a Man United problem I think it's a problem everywhere mm. um, particularly with Man United well when you, of, when you pay that much the amount of overly yeah. paid people on their club is just you think the, the players insane. at United that would rank themselves in the same level as Alexis Sanchez Paul Pogba for argument's sake maybe Lukaku in a year or so David De Gea they're all going to want something that's close to parity with that if if he's worth that then why aren't I worth it as well yeah Chelsea apparently are interested in a uh, a new striker in January I don't know if you heard about this why? So, well apparently they're giving up on Alvaro Morato they don't, they don't think he's uh, got what it takes anymore who, who would you go for if you were Roman Abramovich? I heard Paco Alcacer is quite good. <laughs> <laughs> well, but uh, Roman Abramovich is trying to sell the club and at the same time is interesting in, in buying more players yeah, to the club. Well. It's, it's a bit of a conflict right there, right? Uh, if you buy a really good striker, the club's more valuable when you sell it. Yeah, 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 true. Uh, who would you guys have up front for Chelsea? Well, that um, Christoph Piontek, is that his name? The, uh, oh, you'll never hear his name again Genoa in six months. Guy. Yeah, he's the yeah. flavour of the month at the moment, isn't he? Is it, not, is it nine, eight Serie A? Nine Get, goals, Nine think. goals in yeah. seven games in Serie A? Yeah. It's quite good. Yeah. For Genoa, mind you. For Genoa, yeah. yeah. The new Le- Lewandowski, they call him, aren't they? Probably just because he's Polish. That though, Probably, it? yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but is there anyone else you could think of that would be available in January? It, it, it doesn't look like, I, I don't know, it, it doesn't sound like there's going to be any massive moves in January. Yeah, it's, it's really hard to strike an amazing deal in, in January. I, sometimes, I don't think Olivier Giroud scored yet this season, but sometimes you have to be careful. Like these things are delicately balanced, and I don't think it's a coincidence that Giroud's playing every game for Chelsea and Eden Hazard is scoring so often. Because you, with a more selfish striker, I don't think that happens. Uh, maybe a striker that's more of a poacher or something that doesn't bring others into the game. So it's a delicately balanced thing. Sometimes I don't know who Chelsea could even get in January yeah. for a decent price. 
Well, they've got Olivier Giroud at the moment who hasn't scored all season, have they? But he's actually been playing pretty well. Yeah, yeah. So it's exactly. kind of a weird situation. Yeah. You have Peter Crouch. Why not? <laughs> Olivier Giroud, the best striker who's never scored a goal. Because like he's been doing well at the World Cup as well. He didn't score there, did he? Yeah, I mean, he get one shot on target the entire World so. Cup. If you're, if you're playing every single game and he's still playing for France, if you're playing for the World Champions and you're playing for Chelsea every single week and you can't score and you're the striker, you must do quite a lot right still. <laughs> yeah, no, I absolutely agree. Um, it's not not set him off, but um, quite quite interesting actually. Yeah, like, he I keeps it's, playing every it's, game. It's more similar, to, similar to what we saw with um, Karim Benzema. When Cristiano Ronaldo was at Real Madrid, he kind of like felt like he allowed, not <laughs> gave him permission, but he, yeah. he freed Ronaldo up to, to score pretty often. Yeah, it's, it's, Ronaldo's not there anymore and it's a bit of a problem that Benzema doesn't score because nobody else does. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> I think it's, it's about being clever as a, as a striker and the way uh, Giroud moves and the way he creates a lot of space. It's yeah. really good for the rest yeah. of the team. And it doesn't... That it's it's a very conservative way of looking at a striker and thinking, oh, he only scored like ten goals per season. Is is shit? It's not like that. Emil Football is, is way more. Football is way more than that. And and uh, when it comes to Giroud in particular, it's, uh, it's 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 probably the best example that we have right now. It's quite useful despite the fact that he doesn't score twenty to thirty goals per season. Toby Bayern held a rather interesting press conference today, didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see it, but I've heard all about it. Perhaps you can uh, fill us in on what's what's gone on there. Uh, yesterday, they announced that like um, the the big bosses like Hoeneß, Rummenigge, and Salihamidzic they're gonna um, have a press conference after Niko Kovac had a press conference, and everyone was wondering what will this be about. Um, obviously, they weren't going to um, sack the manager just the day before the uh, Bundesliga match because, well, we're not Spain. Um, <laughs> So then everyone thought it's maybe something like a new sponsoring deal, whatever there are talks that BMW is going to be like some sort of premium partner and buy into the club some shares and all that. But no, they just went there and had a run over the media. Like um, they were disgraced by the way um, <laughs> the German press were reporting about um, their players, especially I think Mats Hummels, Manuel Neuer were sort of in the, in the um, center of attention there. And yeah, basically what they were planning to do was an hour to just um, slack off the media. What they did is, I think they fell 20 minutes short because Uli Hoeneß couldn't be asked at the end anymore. So he just got up and left. <laughs> <laughs> the very Hoeneß way. Um, basically, um, yeah, they were just uh, expressing how unhappy they were um, with the way the media reports on their players and the way um, Munich is played at the moment. They thought it's a bit too harsh. Um, well, freedom of the press, guys. I think that's how you call it. Uh, if your players don't perform, get used to the fact that someone will criticise you for that. And um, these guys been around the professional game for ages and ages, and I think they should actually know better and probably react more professional and grown up. For how many in games in a row do Bayern and Germany not have to win before we're allowed to say that maybe <laughs> their players aren't yeah, playing well? Like, this is even I think especially, you know, um, I, I don't understand why Why is Hoeneß, I mean, you get it, why he, he wants to protect his team, obviously, he wants to protect his club, but a player like Mats Hummels, who's been underperforming like for quite a while now, who um, had his say in two of the goals we conceded against uh, the Dutch, like he's just not playing well at the moment, just, you know, 
give him some rest instead of you know going on a run like, I don't understand it it's just he's not performing well and that's it that happens surely sometimes there's going to be even more scrutiny on Neuer and Hummels now um, right surely and I don't feel like the players need that they're big boys they're used to it it's 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 yeah. so ridiculous mm-hmm. um they don't get the idea that this what they did in this press conference is actually worse Right yeah. now, the media is going crazy about yeah. it. Uli Hoeneß is a hypocrite, and I'll always be uh, one. I mean, we talked about what he said um, about Uziel after the World Cup, that he's been playing shit for, I don't know how many years now. Um, but that's not the only incident. Like, keep in mind what Hoeneß has done over the past two or three decades to other people, um, the way he spoke about them publicly. Um, Careful, they, you might get yourself sued here, the way things are going, you know. <laughs> Well, this is the moment we found out that Oli Hoeneß is listening to the One Football Podcast, Jess. <laughs> so, yeah, I think he, um, he should, should bit, actually know better. It's about. a bit rich for a man who was in prison for tax evasion <laughs> yeah. to like, start calling other people's integrity. Yeah, um, I think Kormenegger said well, um, the, the, the dignity of human beings is invulnerable or something like that. Um, Mate, if they're careful, attached to Bayern uh, Munich. Yeah, if they're attached to Bayern Munich. If not, that's fine. <laughs> Well, you, um, you're a Bayern fan, Toby, but you said before the start of the season that you hoped Bayern wouldn't win the title to keep things interested, so you must be bloody delighted with how the season goes. It's going pretty over. well. Um, <laughs> also, I said that Borussia Dortmund is going to win the title and they're top of the table, so so far, so good. I'm very pleased. Um, Did you put some money on it? <clears throat> unfortunately, I haven't, but like, um, I convinced my cousin the other day to do it, and he, he, he called me in the middle of the night saying, dude... Am I listening to you? Am I putting 25 euro on Dortmund winning the title? I said, well, obviously, do that. <laughs> so he's done so. Um, I hope there's going to be at least a dinner. In about three months, you're going to owe him 25 euro. <laughs> <laughs> Paco Agassiz stopped scoring. Michael Royce is injured. Yeah, exactly. speaking, of, speaking of bold predictions, Michael Asien made a, a pretty bold prediction this week when he said if Real Madrid... If their results don't improve, they could sack Julian Lopetegui. <laughs> In other news, water is wet, apparently. Uh, they're at home to Levante this weekend, though. Surely they're going to win that one, aren't they? Uh, in theory, yeah, um, they should. But uh, the way they've been playing lately, well, I wouldn't be so sure about it. Mm. Uh, also because uh, Levante, they didn't start that. They had a bumpy start of the, of the season. Uh, but they've been scoring in all games so far. The only game they didn't score, it was at uh, Cornellà against Espanyol. They, they lost 1-0. That was the only game so far that they didn't score. So I, I see, I can see them scoring against against uh, yeah. Real Madrid. And let's not forget that this Levante beat um, Betis at uh, Benito Villamarín 3-0. So we can see um, an upset on, on this one. Mm. Hmm, that'd be interesting, wouldn't it? Let's talk about they might be going after Antonio Conte. Do you think there's any truth to that? I actually hey. heard that um, they agreed already. Like, if Lopetegui should be sacked, that Conte is going to take over. I, I read that just yesterday. To be fair, I know I also read that. But I've, I've, I feel like that that that's just smoke right now. Mm. Uh, it's, he's, he's the only obvious choice really at the moment. Like the only manager, like uh, like top top yeah, manager. Yeah, yeah, they've been uh, every time. Um, Lopetegui uh, screws up. It's going to be uh, Antonio Conte all over the place. It were just yeah. it's going to it's going to be like this until the moment that Lopetegui is going to be sacked. It's obviously not going very well. But is it is it Lopetegui's fault that they didn't sign anybody to replace Cristiano Ronaldo? Maybe, probably not. Maybe it was partially because he's is 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 the coach, is the manager. So 
he has a lot of uh, in in the structure that Real Madrid has right now. The the coach has a lot of uh, responsibility of what's happening. But of course, it's not only Lopetegui. The way the way they deal they dealt with the with the market over the the summer was just so weird. <laughs> so weird. You, you just lost a guy who, who scores a, an average of 50 something goals per season. What are you going to do? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> well, it's funny you should mention that because the old uh, Neymar to Real Madrid rumors of Rid is ahead again this week, along with rumors that he could go back to Barcelona. Surely that's not going to happen. Where he'd be welcomed with open arms. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But apparently, I read a report in the Brazilian media where they said that he, um, since he moved to PSG, he hasn't adapted to the city, the culture, the weather, or the food. He doesn't like the French league, the style of the opponents, the welcome he got in the dressing room, and he isn't happy that he's not the big star in Ligue 1. But apart from that, he's having a great time. Apparently, so there was there was um, the original article is from uh, Mundo Deportivo. I read it yeah. at the time, and I was looking for sources, and the whole article. It was written by two journalists, but there was no source in the whole well, thing. Well, I, I read something last week in a Brazilian, um, it could be Interativo or something like that, is it called? Sport <laughs> Interativo. Yeah, and the, the I think it's the journalist who wrote it was the same guy that originally broke the story that he believed in Barcelona. And he kind of corroborated Mundo Deportivo's story, so it seems there might be something in it, but... I know, it seems so weird... The, the, all those things put together yeah. and he, he thinks oh man maybe I can go back to Barcelona why not yeah. now it's it sounds like uh, La La Land to me well, the only thing I would like question is how they're going to pay for it like Barcelona yeah. they've got these enormous uh, Camp Nou renovations going on at the moment and the last few years the only times they've signed players for a lot of money you think of Dembele or Coutinho was when they sold Neymar for over 200 million euros so Where are they actually going to get the money to pay 200 million euros for somebody? It's not going to have a story, not, is it? So, yeah. yeah. On the other hand, like, if we, oh, we are used to it by now that um, there's a certain range of players that always will be linked with clubs like Madrid and Barcelona. And I think um, from the PSG squad, these will always be Neymar and obviously Mbappé. And, um, and Verratti and uh, Rabiot, uh, they're yeah, all being well, linked. That, mm -hmm. So... It's it's like Barcelona. They've been spending a lot of money in every single market. It's not only uh, summertime. Also in January, they spend a lot of money with Coutinho in last yeah, ge last yeah. January. So um, they they make a lot of money, uh, but there's there's a limit to it. Mm. I, I am not sure they can they can go for another deal like that um, next summer. Because as you mentioned, the renovations of the, the company is how much is that going to cost? I don't have the numbers with me, but it's going to be a lot. Of, I'm sorry, but it's, but it's going to be Madrid, a lot of right? money. Huh? Madrid is going to um, you're going to do it as well, yeah. Redo the Bernabeu as well. I think apparently it cost half a billion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like how? It's a big where would they get the money Spanish government? Well? <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're working with uh, an American bank in order to oh, get uh, the proper loan to to make it happen. Okay. There's been interesting, some interesting goings on at Benfica this oh, that's couple of weeks, hasn't there, Andre? It's a great and No segue story. into that at all, just let's get <laughs> into it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, uh, so maybe you, you, you realized that someone weird was happening at Benfica with the New York Times uh, article yeah. that was published, I think, uh, 10 days ago, more or less. Um, And the big, the big headline about the whole thing was that uh, Benfica uh, were trying to sue uh, Google and um, and WordPress in order to get the personal data and the identity of some bloggers that were slagging Benfica mm -hmm. 
in the blogosphere in Portugal. But the, the thing is way, it goes way deeper than that. So everything started um, in mid-April 2017. It, it looks like I'm going like back in time to, to tell this incredible story. So uh, by mid-April 2017, um, the communications director of Porto uh, started to He has uh, like a uh, weekly show on the, the Porto channel uh, where he basically says whatever he wants. And it's, it's usually quite offensive towards other clubs, but that's the spirit in, in all TV shows in Portugal. Uh, when it comes to football, you got to be very offensive and there is no respect whatsoever for the opponent. Uh, so everything you learn in school about respecting the opponent, forget about it. <laughs> um, and this is, um, Portuguese football has been run by a lot of uh, idiots in the past uh, 30 years. Some idiots are more corrupt than others. Mm -hmm. And some, some uh, idiots are, they get caught. Some others don't. And um, this is just uh, so you can understand how bad is the, the, the climate right now in, in Portuguese football. So in 2017, this, sport, this um, communications director from Porto, his name is Francisco J. Marques, uh, started to uh, tell on that show that Benfica was corrupt and, trying to, and was trying to um, influence the, the, the referees with... Um, with uh, some gifts and some other things. They were trying to get information in order to rank uh, referees properly and all kinds of benefits. And, and this was uh, the information that, that came out of nowhere. So later we knew that this uh, information was <laughs> caught on the personal accounts of Benfica, the uh, emails accounts. Yeah. So some Why hacker... people always use their own email accounts <laughs> yeah. when they're doing corrupt stuff? So the, the, some, some hackers got <laughs> into Benfica emails and put it out there in several blogs. Like, if you, can, if you go on, in, on the internet, you can download all the emails because they're still available in some places. And you can actually read all the emails that Benfica employees and lawyers and the, the president of the, the club sent away. And some of them are quite shady. We cannot really tell if there's something corrupt about it, but there are some code words and stuff like that. It can, it's, it's a bit shady. Uh, so shady that um, after a while in June, there was the, the DA opened an investigation to uh, try to find out if there was something shady about the, about the Benfica and all this relationship with, uh, with some other stuff. Benfica got really pissed with the fact that they were hacked naturally. So uh, they uh, sue Porto for hacking. <laughs> the fact that there was a, some hacker behind it, we don't know if, there, if it was hired by Porto to do it, or if the guy was just a good Samaritan that wanted to you know, yeah. hack the, the emails and make it public. Uh, Porto says that we never paid for anything. We just got the emails. The guy sent the emails to us, yeah. so well, we're not involved in these things. So um, Benfica wasn't happy with that. So they decided to go after every blogger 
that publish the the emails. Mm-hmm. And the the only way of doing it was to sue Google and WordPress in order to get the data and the personal information. So they went to a court in California and they sued Google and WordPress. Um, the court said that it's impossible. They cannot give you uh, compulsively the, uh, the data mm. of, of the bloggers and all that stuff. But Befica uh, reached an agreement with, uh, with Google. So Google sent an email to every blogger saying that uh, you should stop doing this and we're gonna provide some personal data to Benfica. Benfica are still trying to find a way of, of getting the information of the, um, of the WordPress blog, just one WordPress. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the meantime, we have this shitstorm of scandals going on in Portugal. Uh, Benfica also tried to spy uh, information directly from the DA, so they have a mole inside the DA oh in order to get the information. This is like the wire. It's, it's, <laughs> this is this is way way deeper than football. This, yeah. this is not football at all. That's that's the the weirdest thing about the whole process. This is about um, uh, information. This is about uh, having spies and moles. This is about uh, calling the other more corrupt than yourself. Yeah. And, and it's frankly pathetic that uh, the football in Portugal is uh, being dragged in the mud uh, between these people. It's, it's insane. Um, it's, it's, been right, it's been like that for 30-something years, and it's incredible that in, in, a, in, a, in a country with uh, the big three don't uh, really care about the rest of the mm-hmm. clubs, uh, that we, we can have a rich uh, proper agreement between the league because if Benfica is voting for one thing, Sporting and Porto are voting for the other and vice versa. Yeah. So there's no union between the clubs. And it's incredible that despite all these things, Portugal still manages to create a lot of good players and to create good managers and to actually win stuff um, internationally. Because... Uh, the level of organization and the the quality of uh, directors and presidents of clubs and all that stuff is awful. It's awful. We don't have uh, qualified people in charge of the clubs. We don't have qualified people in charge of the league. Um, it's a miracle. I don't know. How can it be possible that the, the that Portugal won the Euro? That <laughs> uh, that the, in in the past um, t- 10, 12 years, some clubs actually um, won the, the UEFA uh, Champions League and the, the Europa League and all that stuff. It's it's incredible. It Did I read that seventy percent of Portugal supports Benfica as well, or seventy percent? No, that's of a bit of an overstatement. They oh, really? it, it's uh, they usually say it's around five million. <laughs> Five would million say would that be sporting fan, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, they, usually it's it's uh, Benfica are by far the most popular uh, club. It's not even in question, but it's it's around five million people, which Isn't is half Benfica of the country. Actually, the club with the most or second most uh, members in Europe. I think it's the biggest one. I think so. Yeah, too, yeah. yeah, should be even more than Bayern Munich. Yeah, but the, the membership in in Portugal is a big thing. Is quite important. Is uh, it corrupt? No. <laughs> It's, you cannot, you cannot corrupt that that thing. You just it's it's about getting money from your from your members. How <laughs> simple is that? So you, you then can spend on on hackers too. Exactly <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to arrest other clubs. 
Right. Well, fascinating story. Yeah, I'd love to, uh, you know, keep see how that one uh, turns out. Oh, uh, and uh, maybe I'm going to go back to these uh, scandals in the future because yeah. right now Benfica, uh, they're involved in six different uh, scandals, like legal scandals. It's a podcast in itself, this one, isn't it? And, and Porto <laughs> and Sporting, they're also involved in some um, shady things. So maybe in the future we can come back and, and talk about how the football, Portuguese football totally collapse. <laughs> Because I think it's going to happen. Sounds uplifting. Sounds like uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be made into a film or something. Yeah, it should be. Yeah, yeah, yeah like a Netflix documentary. <laughs> Try to write a book about this. It's going to be no, because I, I want to. I don't want to die. Because if you if you write about this stuff, you're going to get in trouble for sure. Yeah. You're safe with us. <laughs> you're not safe from Bayern Munich. <laughs> <laughs> We're not writing books about Bayern Munich. <laughs> Toby sounds like a bit, a bit of a Benfica mole in here at the moment. <laughs> You're both going to get your doors kicked down in the middle of the night tonight, aren't you? That's like the, a the reach of the one horse head podcast. in my bed. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're rapidly running out of time. Um, but before we go, I thought we perhaps wouldn't have too much to talk about this week, so I prepared a little surprise quiz for you all about the week of football just gone. So let's get straight into that. Um, Lewis, the first question is for you. Raheem Sterling scored twice against Spain on Tuesday, but how many goals has he now scored in total for England? <laughs> five? Four. 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 Oh, four. Uh, so close. I was between four and five. <laughs> Toby, how many games have Germany now lost in 2018? Um, four? Six. Six. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Andre, how much was Arda Turan fined by Istanbul Basakir after he was allegedly involved in a brawl with Turkish singer Berkay Sahin? <laughs> Jesus. Uh, I know, a lot of millions, I, I would say. No, not a lot of millions. No, like, like what, a uh, quarter million? 370,000 euros. Ah, damn it, I was close. <laughs> Hefty fine. Nil poire for all of you so far. Lewis, in England, who said this week, in England, the fans are more spectators than supporters? Uh, Alex Lacazette. Correct. Yeah. Well, of course he knows that. Toby, who said, in Germany, the old players have the power, they decide, they nominate themselves for the national team? Don't know, actually. It's Christoph Dugary. We talked about him earlier. Oh, that one. Come on, mate. <laughs> Keep up. Andre, who well, said... He said media power, though. <laughs> who said Sergio Busquets is no better or worse than Eric Dyer? I have no idea. Was someone drunk? It was Sam Allardyce. Yeah. He's always drunk. It was Sam Allardyce. Oh, okay, so, <laughs> so he was drunk. Oh, big Sam. Uh, Lewis, Jose Mourinho has been charged with improper conduct by the FA after mouthing the words Fodos Filios de Puta to a camera after the Newcastle game. Uh, what does that mean in English? <laughs> Am I allowed to say that? You are, yeah. I think, is it like fucking sons of bitches or something like that? Dre? Uh, yeah, it's more like um, uh, fuck or go fuck yourselves, you're sons of bitches. I'll give you half a point yeah, for that. I'll then. take it. <laughs> uh, Andre, who is the current top scorer in the Bundesliga? It's uh, Alcacer. Correct. Toby, who is the current top scorer in La Liga? Um, it's the guy from Sevilla. Um, yeah, he is. It's not. It's not? No. Uh, no, it's... Um... Plays for Girona? Yeah. Oh, Stuani. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Ah, Christian Stuani. Yeah. Well, that's it. That's the only que all the questions. I think you won that, Lewis. I think you got a point and a half there. Yeah. I've actually got a little trophy for you here. <laughs> this is the, uh, the one-foot Ballon d'Or. It's a um, bottle opening in the shape of a naked lady. And yes, oh, I do want it back design. at the end, by the way. Do I have to pass this on to someone the next time? You <laughs> yeah, do, maybe, you maybe, do a quiz? maybe, yeah. That makes sense. 
It's really warm. Where you had that? It's from the pocket. <laughs> well, and on that bombshell. On that bombshell, that is the end of today's podcast. Thank you, guys, uh, Toby, Andre, and Lewis for coming in. Thank you to everybody for listening at home. Get your questions into us before next week, and we will answer them on the show. The uh, email address to do so is podcast at onefootball.com. And in the meantime, we will uh, see you next week.